Welcome to the Success in South Carolina podcast, where we will be hearing the untold stories of success from people in our community. These successful neighbors of ours will share their real-life philosophies and solutions for success to inspire us, educate us, and help us find peace, joy, and love, along with a purpose, a mission, and a vision for our lives. And I'm your host, Jonathan Peoples. Our guest today lives in Greenville, South Carolina. She is a brand voice strategist and personality copywriter. She helps entrepreneurs create a raving fandom through their website, emails, and sales pages. If you know that you have a celebrity deep inside of you, our guest is the best person to help you pull it out, put it on display for the world to see, help you gain the best customers. I'm excited to chat with our guest and share her wisdom with our listeners. Welcome to the show, a new friend of mine, Juliet P.A. Hey, yes, Juliet. Jonathan, that was such a great introduction. I'm honored to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, Juliet, you do something very well that I believe is one of the fundamental ingredients to success. You add value first. On your website, you give away 10 tips that will help people write killer copy. Uh, you're always educating people on how to improve their personal brand, and you do all that for free. Well before you ever ask people to, to like pay you a dime. But this creates a balance in the universe where you almost don't even have to sell yourself. Instead, people want to work with you because they know you're the proven expert. Where did you learn this secret of adding value or giving value first before you ask for value? Yeah, that's a great question. So I, to me, I don't even think of it as adding value. I almost consider it more entertainment. How can I talk about things that are important to me that I know are important to other people in a way that is fun and engaging? Because I actually kind of got really hung up on the idea of adding value and feeling like I have to be a teacher and I have to have a workshop and I have to have courses and I have to have these super authoritative blogs. And I just had to be like, you know, forget all that. I'm just going to talk about what I want to talk about. And that has been a better strategy for me to feel like I'm bringing value to conversations just because I'm thinking of it as a conversation. What are people interested in? What are people asking me about? And that's been so much fun for me. And I feel like making it easy has been, I guess, kind of what I've learned as far as make it be approachable. And that's what I tell my clients is like, be fun and approachable. I mean, if you are fun, um, approachable and people will be more interested in working with you. And so I think that's worked pretty well for me. And you probably have more fun doing it that way. Yeah, 100%, 100%. Thinking of myself as an entertainer versus an educator has changed the game. Do you do you like being an entertainer? I do. I think it's a little bit easier online because I can think about what I'm doing before I do it. I'm not somebody who is in a room trying to be the center of attention. It kind of depends on the room. Like I'm an ambivert. So if everybody else is quiet, then I'm going to pull out some conversations and pull out, you know, some engaging things, but if somebody else is like trying to be the center of attention or they're just more extroverted, then I'll kind of like lay back and let them do their thing. But online, I know I have my space. And so I use my space very well. When we met the other day, that's the first time I ever heard the word ambivert, Juliet. So please, yeah, yeah. I I mean, I I sound stupid, but uh, please explain what that is to our audience here. Yeah. So an ambivert is someone who's really in the middle of the introvert and the extrovert 
I guess, spectrum, as you would call it, because I've taken those tests a million times and kind of depending on the day or depending on my mood or how I'm feeling, I will sway a little bit more one way to, you know, one side or the other. And I think in my head, I'm an extrovert. Like I like to meet new people, but I am a little bit calculated where I kind of like, I don't know, I have to feel it out a little bit. I'm not someone who's going to go naturally shake hands with everybody, which I feel like you are that person. But for me, I kind of have to like give myself some gumption to be like, go say hi, it's going to be okay. And like, you can do this. And then once I get over that hump, then I have a great time. And then I like to decompress. There's sometimes where I like, I'm enjoying a room of people so much. And then I just hit a wall and I'm like, all right, time to go. Love everybody. Peace out. Like I can't do it anymore. So Amber, it's, it's just a little bit of both. Yeah. And I'm, uh, honored that you would think that I'm the type of person that would just go naturally shake hands. I feel like yeah. I'm probably more like you, Juliet, that I have to kind of get myself excited about it and fake myself out. And uh, I feel like that may, the main difference between an introvert and an extrovert in my mind is an extrovert probably gains energy from those kind of mm-hmm. in- environments, whereas an introvert can, I can do it, but I walk yeah. away drained, right? Yeah. I walk, I went to a networking event Wednesday night and I was working the room probably better than anybody there, not because mm-hmm. I wanted to, but that's just a skill I've learned. But yeah. then I walked away feeling exhausted. Yes. Okay. That's good to know. Cause yeah, I would never know it. And I think that people respond that way to me. They're like, oh, you're so, you know, just like out there. And I'm like, yeah. you don't understand the aftermath of like, nobody talked to me for a day. But at the same time, I can't introvert too hard because if I don't get out for like a long period of time, that's why I joined a co-working space twice now because I just needed to like get out of my house and know that other human beings are like breathing um because if I am alone too long then I go a little crazy and I think everybody's a little bit that way but me specifically I can't introvert too hard right and I feel like that's a good thing to think about because nowadays more and more companies are going into like a hybrid model or even just like a remote only model and Yes, I think it's great for the freedom of the employees, but sometimes the employee, sometimes you just need to get around your team. Sometimes you just need to see other mm-hmm. people face to face, not just on in Zoom doesn't necessarily fulfill that role. Not always. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Zoom is different because you can't like there's still that thought of having to have a presence like. I will get tired if I have too many Zoom meetings because I'm trying to like look pleasant because I have the worst like resting face. Like I look like I hate people. And that's something <laughs> that my my uh, my senior uh, year of high school, my drama teacher, we did something on video and I just was relaxing. You know, I was trying to just not really have a facial expression. And he was like, you don't look okay. Like you look like you hate being here. And I was like, oh my goodness. So that's just some self-awareness that yeah, on Zoom meetings, you just have to keep, you know, smiling face. Um, But in person, you can kind of, I don't know, like if the focus isn't on you, you can kind of relax. You can look down on your notes or something where as on Zoom, if like you're not looking at the conversation, people think you're checked out. So yeah, yeah, it's definitely crazy to manage, you know, that, that change in the workforce these days. So kind of an RBF, huh? You ever oh, heard yes, of that? Absolutely. Yep, I have. I have. I wasn't going to say it out loud, but I 100% have that. <laughs> so, uh, so Juliet, copywriting is not where you got your start. It's kind of a little bit right. of a, a little bit of a journey. Would you yeah. share with our listeners what your journey looked like on the way to becoming a superstar copywriter? Oh, superstar. You're so nice. Um, I, yeah, I'd love to share my story because I feel like it's so important for other people to hear 
that you can create opportunities for yourself. So for me, I got my degree in journalism and I had the understanding that, you know, that degree just that's the check mark that gets you exactly where you want to be after college. So with a journalism degree, I didn't want to be a news anchor. I wanted to go into marketing because we had taken one class um, on copywriting, which was focused around creating like radio and TV commercials. And that was so fun for me because I chose journalism as like the smart, practical thing to do. But I found so much more fun in writing those radio and t- TV commercials because I was like, okay, I can use something creative for a business need because I loved creative writing, but I didn't expect to be like a novelist or, you know, anything like that. So when I graduated, I got these jobs that were like marketing slash receptionist and then event planning slash receptionist. Um, and those always seem to just be kind of like a, you know, two in one combo. And I worked for wonderful small businesses, but they didn't have, you know, a marketing department or anyone to kind of hone and like guide my skill, you know, upward into right. something that would be a full-time marketing position. And I also didn't really know how to advocate for myself in those areas and take that opportunity to showcase my work or take initiative. Um, because I just had that mindset of like, you know, you do a good job, you are handed more work, like don't disrupt the, the status quo. And if you, you know, do enough of the grunt work, then you'll get the work that you really want to do. And that didn't really happen. It was more just like, yeah, keep doing the work that you're not loving. <laughs> and so I, I changed job, jobs every few years, kind of looking for something a little bit bigger and a little bit better, which was fine. But like along the way, I would always hit a wall and be like, okay, I know that I want that, that creative job. So I'd send my resume to ad agencies again without any finesse. Like I would just be like, please take a chance on me. I have a journalism degree. And they'd be like, okay, do you have a portfolio? And I'd be like, no, I have the journalism degree. Like I put four years in or three years in actually, because I did it uh, in three years, but like I have the degree, what do I need the portfolio for? And I should have taken that advice to create a portfolio a little bit earlier, but I ended up getting a job as an executive assistant, which was even further from my original goal to be in a creative field, but it paid so well. It was at a really cool company. And I was almost kind of like, okay, well, fine. I mean, if doing admin work is what is going to get me a new car, then like, I'll do that instead of going for the creativity. Mm. But like, I think most people learn when you have something that you're talented in and that you're passionate about, it's not going to go away. And so I did my best to be an executive assistant and it was okay. It just, it wasn't the best fit for me. And eventually I just kind of was like, all right, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to start writing again. And so I started a blog called Greenville Enthusiast. I'm not running it anymore, but I felt like I just needed something to show people that I could write. And Greenville is amazing. Greenville is growing really fast. It's something that I felt like was a topic that would reach a lot of people that I could kind of gain some traction doing. So I started that blog. I would talk about experiences in Greenville. I would talk about like local boutiques, local restaurants, and even like the fitness studios. Like I would go check those out. And those were always fun because my review was always like, I hated doing the workout, but then I'm glad I did it. And it was fun. Like, because everybody, when you're working out really hard, it's like in the middle, you're like, oh my gosh, why am I doing this? When you're like, you know, 50 squats in and then you're kind of like, okay, well now the endorphins have kicked in. So I loved it. But so I did that. And my purpose of that blog at that time was to have a portfolio and think either, okay, this blog is either going to get a large enough readership to where 
I'll maybe get, be able to like put ads on it or something um, or get brand deals or something like that. Or maybe the company that I'm working for will see that I really do want to be creative and maybe there'll be opportunity there because I love that company. Or maybe I'll use this blog as a portfolio to like get another job, straight marketing that I've been like wanting for forever. So two of those things kind of happened. Like the blog over a year kind of got big enough to like have people reach out to me for freelance writing um, and then also for some brand deals. And so that was really cool. And then I also did have um, somebody reach out for a marketing position at Assure Alliance, which I know that you know about, which is an insurance brokerage. And um, that was full-time marketing and that was awesome. So I made the switch to work there, but I didn't let go of the freelancing because it was so exhilarating to have that, that like specific trade of like money for talent. And like, you know, you get feedback every time you send some client, send a client some good copy that they're really invested in, they're really excited about. And then also, I just felt like I had so much control, like, I could choose who I wanted to work with, and I could take on exciting projects. So I stayed in the marketing job for a year. And I I loved that too. Like I finally had so much independence to um, make a strategy and then implement it. And that was great. But I was freelancing like 5am to 7am and then going in and working nine to five. And after a year, I just hit the wall and hit burnout and was like, I have to choose like I can either stay in marketing, you know, in corporate America, and kind of like hope that I work hard enough to climb up the ranks now that I'm finally here, or I can jump into freelance full time and just kind of take control of my own destiny, which I know that sounds very like, woo, motivational, like yeah, take control yeah. of your destiny. But I was just like, this is the time to make that decision. And um, now it's been a year and a half of going out on my own freelancing and I have been loving it. It's definitely had, you know, it's, it's ups and downs, but I would take it any day over you know, waiting for someone else to choose my next move. So I know it was a long story, but that is um, how I got out here and I've been loving it. And I guess my message is just for people that are sitting in that admin job and like not having a good time, like there's so much out there for you to grasp. If you just, you know, decide to, to start doing something, like start creating, start doing something. It can be small, but like just start and you'll see that how much you love it. Like you can't let that passion die inside of right. you. And you were doing all of that work on the side while you had your admin job. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes, so yes, you had the admin job that paid well, but then you you pursued your passion on the side. I hear that yeah. a lot more about people talk, doing a side hustle. Something else that I wanted to point out was you said over a year span, I finally started to gain some traction because I think so many people start a blog going into it and they write three or four or five or six posts and are like, "Why? where's my audience? Why aren't they yeah. showing up yet? At what point where was it about a year when you started to gain some traction or or how far into it when you started to gain some kind of traction doing your stuff? So it's a little interesting because for and this is true just of anyone starting a blog. Most of the time, most bloggers will tell you that it takes two years to establish a readership and to get any return on investment. It's not like, you know, anything else where you're just selling something and you immediately get money. Like you have to put in so much work before people are ready to, you know, hand over money because of an audience that you've built. It takes a long time. My blog actually got traction 
March 2020. And if you think about what happened in March 2020, COVID happened. And so I kind of pivoted my blog. So I was talking about Greenville experiences. But when COVID happened, and everything was shutting down, I saw so many small businesses kind of at risk, because there were some people that had the opinion that, you know, how dare they do curbside pickup, because they're still going to spread germs. And, you know, they're, they're perpetuating COVID or whatever. And I was kind of like, okay, you know, there are families behind these small businesses that have worked incredibly hard to build this. And this is just detrimental to their success or even like livelihood at that point. So I started a campaign on my blog called Faces of Small Biz. And I would just kind of reach out and ask people like, hey, if you know anybody or if you yourself want to tell me your story, tell me what deals you're doing. Tell me you know, about your family, why you started your business, why it's important to you. And I just kind of did these like little profiles of all these small businesses because I also saw everybody you know, doing curbside takeout and they'd offer 15% off or whatever. And so there'd be like these long lists of every single restaurant doing 15% off. And it was kind of like, if you're emphasizing everything, you're emphasizing nothing. Like everyone just knows at this point that any restaurant you go to is going to do curbside pickup for 10% off. Like this isn't really special. And so I just kind of wanted to like pull back the curtain on the people behind those businesses. And that made my blog like blow up, um, which was amazing. And I think part of it was people were sharing it more. Um, They were looking for kind of those stories. And especially COVID was such a personal journey for everybody that being able to resonate with other people behind the scenes, I think was just a little bit more heightened at that time. And then I also did another campaign a little bit later called Faces of Black Business so that people could kind of put their money where their mouth was in who they wanted to invest in. Because I feel very strongly that like your local community is more important than how you're voting. I guess you could say vote in your local community, but like, I just feel like, you know, the economy and your money and those decisions that you make every single day are going to have more of an impact in your small circle. That's going to impact a wider circle than, you know, going and checking a box like every four years, whatever. So yeah, my blog got traction that way. And that was a little bit novel. I can't say that for somebody else that they're going to have a pandemic again to make their right. blog, blog, but it was kind of validating for me more so than the blog, just to know that like I had that campaign mindset. I had that marketing mindset knowing, you know, what people are genuinely going to connect to. And so that was almost even more exciting for me to see that kind of like a project did well than just the blog or the side hustle doing well. I know in one of my podcasts, uh, speaking to Tim Joyner, he said, luck is when preparation meets opportunity. And even though that this might seem like it's a big setback or some big, you talked about a pandemic and you said, well, maybe not everybody else will have a pandemic to help their blog blow up, but they could take anything going on in the world. I think what Juliet did was she didn't, she didn't look at the pandemic and goes, I'm going to take advantage of this. You said, I want to help out. Right. So I think if people look at every single thing going on in the world right now, there's there's a lot of layoffs going on. There's anything going on, whether it be the economy or politics or layoffs or jobs. If people can look at that and say, where can I jump in and help with what I do right now? How can I help the community doing what I do? And that's why you blew up again. It's about adding value first. That's what Juliet. I think you're great at that. I so appreciate it. I, I, for some reason, I'm like, no, that's not true about me. But I think, you know, when other people tell us things, it helps us believe them more. Um, And so I guess I'll have to know that I do create value because I do think I have that imposter syndrome sometimes that's like, you know, do people even care what I'm talking about? And I'm the youngest of three. And I feel like 
from my story of being, you know, the receptionist everywhere in the world that I have this thought that like, I still don't have as much experience or knowledge or value as other people do. And so I really appreciate you confirming that like you see value from the outside looking in and I'm going to, I'm going to embrace that. So I yeah, really do. Good. That. Write it down and write, write my name next to it. Like a quote from me, put it on your yeah. mirror. That way, if you ever doubt yourself, you can look at it. And it's yeah. so funny, the imposter syndrome, I, there is some kind of spectrum. I can't remember the name of it, but uh, my friend, Dr. Rebecca Heiss on a former episode talked about it, but there's a scale of the people that are actually successful in producing have this imposter syndrome. Whereas on the other end of the scale, if you don't know what the heck you're doing, you almost have this ignorant confidence that you can just, yeah. I'm going to do whatever I want to. And, and yeah, it's just, I guess, lack of awareness of themselves. Whereas you yeah. live with yourself every single day, you know, your little minor, minor hangups and your mm-hmm. weaknesses. So you've got the, you're very aware. I think that's all that is, is you've just got a lot of hyper awareness. But you definitely yeah. have value, Juliet. And let me let me ask this too. So going along that path, even probably still to this day, you know, going out on your own is different than working a W-2 job, working for someone mm-hmm. else. What are some of the major challenges that you've come across through that process? And then how do you feel like that you've learned from them? I think a lot of it, the challenge that I've come across is, again, it's very internal. I realized in this past year that I have anxiety and it's not the way that I thought that anxiety would show up. And so I always thought people with anxiety, you know, they're just like frantically shivering and, you know, worried and always thinking about the worst case scenario all the time. But for me, my challenge is you know, kind of like, what do people think about me? And I have these conversations in my head with like past employers or like friends or other business people. And it's so internal that I realized I was wasting so much time having these like fake conversations in my head that I had to kind of pivot that and reframe it and think, okay, well, let's see this conversation all the way through or, or even stop myself and just be like, no one is thinking about you. Like everyone is focused on their own stuff. But one of those conversations is when I did have that blog and it's such a part of my success story, but there were people that made fun of it and they'd say like, oh, what does the Greenville person have to say? Or, you know, how's your little blog coming along? And I just think like, you know, if I were to share that people said that specifically who, who said that or whatever, like, would they ever come back and be like, well, how dare you share that I said that? And I have that anxiety in my head. Like, what if somebody ever confronts me about me being open that somebody used to make fun of my blog? And then I think, okay, let's see this conversation through. I would say to them, why are you uncomfortable that I shared that? Because they said it out loud. They said it in public. They said it where other people could hear. And I just kind of have to see that conversation through. And I do that in so many different aspects where I think like, what really is the worst case scenario? And how ridiculous is that? Like, And that's a challenge just as an entrepreneur that like, again, you're not going to see it from the outside looking in. It's extremely internal. And as entrepreneurs, like we can read about, you know, getting up early and working out and tackling the day and making sure we are delegating. But at the end of the day, like as an entrepreneur or a leader or anybody who's trying to do something, you know, big and scary and exciting, you really have to take your thoughts captive and you have to internally have control of yourself and realize what you spend your time thinking on and kind of like harness that and move through it because otherwise you're going to hold yourself back over things that don't even exist. Um, So it's probably not the answer you were expecting, but for me, I feel like that's been the most impactful over anything else. So it's 
learning that you have anxiety, but then yeah. learning to take those thoughts captive is what you talked about that process of taking that conversation through. Is that how you take the thoughts captive or is there another method you're using? Sometimes I just have to distract myself. Like I will put on a podcast that's fun or I'll just kind of like focus on something else because it's really easy to tell myself, you know, that's, you know, that's not true or that's not accurate or whatever, but it'll come back in five minutes. Like I'll find myself going down that thought process Mm. in another five minutes. So I think it's keeping positive things around me. And then sometimes it is just like having that conversation through. If something keeps coming up that I'm thinking about, I have to be like, okay, let's really play this out the whole way through. And I spend a lot of time in prayer. I journal every day and I kind of like write those things down sometimes. And yeah, there's different methods, but I just have to be, you know, hyper aware in a good, in a good way of where my mind is taking me and kind of, you know, get rid of that. Got to squash it. Yeah. And there is a lot of power in journaling. It's uh, getting that, those thoughts that keep rolling around in your head that you can't seem to get past putting them on a sheet of paper somehow releases you from the, from the bonds that they've been holding on you just if nothing else to kind of step away from them. Right. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, it's awesome. And I love like, um, I'm, I keep writing in my journal that I can't wait for the end of the year so I can reread my whole year of journaling. Because I remember when I did it last year, like in January, I was fussing over like this $50 client or something. (laughs) I was, you know, so freaked out about it because I was so new and $50 meant a lot to me then. And now, you know, I look back at that and I'm like, that was nothing. That was so insignificant, but in the moment it felt so big. And so I love kind of seeing that overview of the last year and like, what was I worried about that? I've grown so far past now. So as you look at your journal, for the past year, what are you looking for? What are you, is it just reminders? Are you looking for lessons? What are you looking for as you review your journal? I'm looking for growth, but I also think I'm looking for those small things that were really exciting to me in the moment that I've forgotten about. Um, You had a post on LinkedIn the other day about tips for success. And my fifth one was to appreciate the little things because we can look so much at these like overnight success stories and these revenue goals and these team growth goals and things. And there's so many little things that are in my life and in my friends' lives that I've captured in my journal that, you know, I'm not shouting them to the world because it doesn't matter to them. But I mean, reading back through my journal and seeing like friends who have, you know, have kids, uh, have had kids or have like, you know, they've changed jobs and they're excited now, or when I've won a new client or uh, when I had like a great, you know, hike or something, those little things that just kind of add up. I love reading those as like a year in review. Cause it's easy to get to the end of the year and be like, well, I didn't really do anything or I didn't really, you know, I don't even remember what my goals were in January, but when you go back through a journal and you see those little moments, you're like, I've lived a beautiful full life. It's great to kind of remember sometimes, right? Cause we, we've, we've got very short memory about mm-hmm. the good things. So being able to appreciate those great things and also knowing, Hey, you know what? I've come a long way. Sometimes we say, have I really even changed this year? Yeah. But then you look back through your journal and you see, wow, look at all the things that I went through and I overcame instead of, instead of just thinking my whole year has just been struggle. Well, of course life is, life is struggle mixed with greatness. Right. But if, but as humans, we just tend to remember all the struggles. Yes, it's so true. And in my in my process for what I take my clients through, if somebody, you know, is booking me for a website, I ask them a lot of questions. And it's so crazy. I started asking kind of those like negative questions, like tell me about a time that you were disappointed. And people will share 
like two paragraphs worth of trauma and yeah. it's so surprising to me whereas it's kind of like hey what are your hobbies and they're like oh i like reading and that's one line and then you ask about something bad and they share so much more and it's not because i want them to be in a negative mindset but it shows me their values when someone talks through a time that they're disappointed i can realize you know they were upset that somebody was dishonest with them or that somebody didn't invest in them or you know a time where like they let themselves down and it just shows me their values in a very very different way and it kind of gets them out of their head a little bit too because i feel like people um when they're writing their website or launching or something they're thinking so much about how do i present my best self and my confident self and i'm like break it down like break it all down let's get to some vulnerability let's get to some of the things that you love and give them kind of that option to kind of like take their own walls down and not you know worry about editing themselves yeah so i want to jump back to these tips of success you have juliet before before yeah. we do that though let's do this let's set a foundation how does juliet pa define success i define success as what you want period like what do you want <laughs> not to get like the notebook where he's like what do you want just tell me what you want <laughs> but it is as simple as that it is not a monetary number um it is not a material thing i don't feel like that might be part of it but what do you want your life to look like and feel like and what kind of person do you want to be um do you want to be relaxed do you want to be grumpy nobody wants to be grumpy and sometimes you know if you're hitting that that monetary value you might be grumpy because you're stressing yourself out on the way there um so that was a long long answer so i guess i'll cut myself off early because i can ramble all day but it's, it's just what you want yeah so having the option or the choices to be able to, to design the life that you want. Is that yeah. what you're saying? Yes. Awesome. Yeah. And it's that, different for everybody. Right. Sure. It is. So what are some of these tips of, I love, uh, and I think I've read a couple on your blog or somewhere else that a couple of these tips of success, what are some that you want to share with our audience here? Yeah. So well, let first- me, let me stop you for a sec. I apologize. I want to hear your number one. Like what is, if you could only pass along one secret, What's that secret? And then we'll go on to the other ones. My first one is, and this is my top one, is never forsake personal relationships for business success. Never, never, ever, 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 ever. Because I don't care how many business, you know, relationships you have. I don't, you know, I know your network is your net worth. I don't care what house you live in. I don't care how much revenue again that you have in your, in your business, because so many people start with the idea to like create generational wealth. Um, they make that their number one and they think like, oh, well, my family's going to appreciate it later because we're going to have a mansion and we're going to be, you know, going on vacation all the time. But when you sacrifice those personal relationships along the way, and I'm thinking mainly of, you know, a close family, but it could even be friendships. There's this narrative that like, well, people don't understand and they don't really support you and they don't get it because they're sitting at their nine to five and they don't understand the hustle. And um, that is, I think, a little selfish to just expect everybody else in your life to understand you and for, you know, you as a business owner to say, my needs are are first and foremost and anybody else's are just irrelevant um, because they're working a nine to five and I'm better than them. I don't like that mentality. And so I guess my message would be to people just, you know, don't forsake your personal relationships for business, business success, because when you are on your deathbed, your business, you know, associates are not going to be there with you. You're not going to be going to bed with them every night. They're not going to be changing your diapers when you're old. Like money is so fleeting. Material things are so fleeting. 
hold those personal relationships close. And that's one thing I told my husband this morning that I'm so extremely grateful for because he's an entrepreneur as well. And both of us have taken a little bit of a slow approach, very methodical approach to growing our businesses because we care about having time for each other on the weekends. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think some people... I understand that there's always going to be some sacrifice in running a business, but you can't sacrifice everything because you will regret it. It's like, don't, uh, you know, sacrifice something today that you're going to regret a year from now. And I think that there is this, there's this thought process in the market that you have to sacrifice everything for, to accomplish success. That You have to go all out balls to the wall, get, yeah. just get everything done and, and, neglect everything for a short period of time. And I Mm -hmm. think that I, I used to even believe that for a while, but I think that now I understand that, you know what, my capacity as a human being is a lot more than I ever thought it was. And I can still accomplish greatness and success while keeping those other things in balance and keeping those other things intact. So I love, I love it, Juliet. Love it. Uh, What are some of the other tips you've got? Yeah. I think my number two is don't be afraid to be outspoken. I, and I, that's like a new kind of success metric for me. Um, It used to be like, don't be afraid to be ambitious and dream big. And I still believe that that's my number three or no, that's my number four is to like dream annoyingly big. But my number two is don't be afraid to be outspoken. If you, you know, feel strongly about basically anything, go ahead and share it. Don't be a jerk. You don't have to be a jerk about it. But um, I think I held my tongue so many times, even from the sake of like being afraid that I would sound stupid. That doesn't get anybody anywhere. Like it's okay to be outspoken and say, hey, I don't know. Or, hey, can you tell me more about that? Or to just say, I actually feel differently. And this is why, like put it out there, be outspoken. And that's the personality piece that I bring to my clients is like, get it out there. Don't worry about being this like fake shell of yourself or try to like craft a personal brand. You just have to like get out there and be, be yourself. And that's, what's going to get you those clients that you love. So what are some of the things that you felt strongly about? You feel like you struggled with whether I should talk about this or not? What are some of those things? Oh man, there's a long, long list. I think calling out just the, like the mask of culture is one of them. Um, A lot of people talk about having good company culture. And I think that that can be a little gaslighty sometimes um, because good culture can put people into a mindset that they're supposed to be happy and that they're supposed to uh, just go along with everything because this company has great company culture or whatever. I think it's okay to say, Hey, I'm, unsatisfied and here's why and this is what I'm looking for or even call people out on like hey you're not like I okay I found this in the workplace and in um and in client work is saying that wasn't good feedback which is weird it's weird to tell someone that they haven't given you good feedback but a lot of times I think in the workplace or even in in my work it'll be kind of like well this isn't something enough and it's like well that's not tactical like I remember being told that I wasn't I think think like executive enough, like I was good at admin, but I wasn't necessarily executive enough. And it was like, well, I don't know what that means. So I need you to tell me. And this happens with copywriters all the time is a client will say something like, this doesn't sound like, this doesn't sound professional. And it's like, what does that mean? Like professional doesn't really mean anything if you really pare it down. As copywriters, our job is to like look at the audience. And I found that people that can't give good feedback, they're afraid to know what their audience is saying. I had a client who I did their their um their research, like all their customer research, and multiple clients of theirs said 
I loved working with this person because before I did that, I was spending like hours on YouTube watching videos, trying to figure it out myself. And so I put that in their copy. Right. And then their feedback was like, I don't, I don't like this, you know, phrase that like people would be looking at YouTube. I don't think that my clients struggle with that. And I was able to be like, here's all the evidence that they do. And like, you have to talk to your audience. Like when you're afraid of saying things the wrong way, it's like, it doesn't matter if you're not talking to your audience because you're trying to be so fancy, like this is not going to work. Um, so I think just kind of coming into my own, as far as sharing my ideas and opinions, I know that at first I'm thinking like, you know, if you have a favorite sports team or a strong political opinion or religious opinion or whatever, like share that. But it also comes down to being outspoken as far as like knowing who you are and knowing what you bring to the table, I think is just as valuable. Yeah. And I think growing up, I heard the phrase, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. Yeah. Right. So stand, stand your ground, right? If you feel Mm -hmm. strongly about something and you feel convicted about it, then there's a reason you do, you know, we need people with conviction and backbone in this world. Yeah. I feel like that more and more of us are getting talked out of this backbone and it's getting sawed away from us. Just one little, uh, vertebrae at a time. Mm -hmm. Uh, but you know what? I, I feel like hard times will make tough people. Yes. So I'm not necessarily against anything. Uh, if if we have to go through hard times, I don't wish them and I don't want them. But at the same time, we need to have we need to have some great people. So bad times sometimes make for great opportunities and great people. Anyway, my apologies going on a rant here, Juliet. Let's oh, get I back to it. your go back to your list. Okay. So number three is know your boundaries. Know your boundaries. And this can be again like client focused or it can be personal focused, but for success, I feel like you just have to know, you know, is it worth it working until 9 PM? And if it's not, then set that rule like once. I don't remember who I learned that from, but it was something like, you know, set a rule one time and then follow it like for the rest of your life. So if you feel like you don't ever want to work past 5 PM, but then you keep like pushing that envelope around all the time or pushing that boundary all the time, then you don't really believe that you shouldn't be working past 5 p.m. or you're not sticking to your own standards. So you can't expect other people to stick to your boundaries and stick to your standards unless you do it yourself. So I think it's really important for people to know their own boundaries, stick to them, and other people respect them too, but you have to respect it first and you have to be serious. And I think that's also goes into negotiation. Like I, you know, if you're not actually willing to walk away, then you're not actually negotiating. Um, And I found that like, I've started practicing that. And that has been huge where, uh, you know, a client will want to fight me on a price or whatever. And I'll just be like, it, that, that's my price. So, you know, I'm not changing it. And then they'll be like, okay, well, I'm still hiring you yeah. <laughs> and they'll hire me for what I set. And so it's just kind of like sticking to those boundaries, because if you bend for everybody, then you're going to eventually break. Right. Okay. Any others? Yeah, I, I don't got know how long how long is this list? A little bit. It's just five. It's five. Okay. I, I really went overachieving because you shared like one tip and then you asked me for mine. And I was like, I don't know, let me come up with some. So yeah, my, my last two, one is dream annoyingly big, which we already talked about. And that is probably the hardest one for me to actually practice well, because I always think like, well, of course I want, you know, more money and I want better clients and I want more vacations and the same things that pretty much everybody wants when they're dreaming annoyingly big. But you still have to anchor yourself to that because otherwise you just kind of stay stuck being like, well, everything's okay. And it's not, 
it's not really getting better. And like, you eventually have to decide that you want to level up um, because otherwise you're going to be stuck. And then number five is appreciate the little things. I know we talked about that um, as far as journaling and things like that, but like, you can call it gratitude. I know a lot of people practice gratitude and that's super powerful. And I've had seasons of that where I get really into gratitude, but every now and then, I don't know, then it kind of falls off for me, but yeah, just appreciating the little things and keeping those in mind, I feel like is really anchoring. I do find that gratitude is a lot more powerful than most people think it is. And it seems like your fourth one, dream annoyingly big kind of ties back into your first one of design the life you want, you know, Yeah. of course, maybe the life you want, you're, you're satisfied with where you're at. Uh, so maybe you do have to kind of stretch mm-hmm. yourself. I feel like there's a difference between gratitude and satisfied. Yeah. Do you know That's what I mean? Right. When I say those two words, 100%. Absolutely. Like I'm always grateful for everything I've gone through in life and grateful for where I'm at, but it's, I try to never be satisfied. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. All right. Well now let's chat about uh, some mistakes in copywriting. I want to pick your brain for copywriting here real quick. What are some yeah. of the biggest mistakes people make when it comes to their copy? Okay. Oh my goodness. So this is where my 10 kick clips to copy that converts is like, okay. huge. anybody that wants that free guide, it's 10 tips. I could, I could talk about all of them right now, but like one of them is not listening to or knowing your audience. And so it's extremely important and people overthink this. Like, what does that mean? How do I do like audience research? It can kind of sound intimidating. So my, what I recommend to people is talk to your current customers and ask them very specific questions, ask them what they were struggling with before they worked with you why they chose to work with you and you know what improvements are they seeing now that you guys have worked together and even those three questions by themselves like i always when i'm gathering testimonials I ask about 10 questions that are kind of specific but when you can answer those things like like what do people struggle with before they work with me why do they decide to work with me and what is better for them after they work with me um that sets the tone for every single thing that you should be writing that, that sets the tone for your website that sets the tone for you know your linkedin profile that sets the tone for launching emails like anything you have to know your audience and why they choose to work with you and like what they struggle with because otherwise you're just making stuff up and you're probably yeah. going to make up stuff that's like way farther than is even necessary, right? Like another one that's kind of similar to this is so many solopreneurs feel like they have to present as a huge company and everyone can see through that. That is like, it grinds my gears (laughs) Um, when people present as like this big corporation or this big firm because they get super jargony. They say stuff like we're innovative, dynamic, integrated solutions that provide powerful solutions to help your business grow. And it's like, nobody knows what you're talking about Mm. and no one is connecting to that. So I'm, I'm a very strong believer in having a personal brand, at least at the beginning, like build your company on, on your values and your personality. And then once it's time to go corporate, then go corporate. But starting with that just does not work. Another thing. I totally agree with you there. I see so many small, and I've worked with a lot of these companies that are like, well, we've only got five people working here. We want to, we want to make it look like we've got 30 because our competition has 30 or 50 or 500. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. just make it. You are what you are and be, be unique, be you. If yes, you're, if like you're trying to be about your competition like that. Right. Right. Okay. I, my apologies. Keep talking about what you were going to say. No, Other big mistakes. Great. Yes. No, I love your thoughts on this too. Um, 
Another one that's similar to that is being afraid to be conversational. And that's even where I had to learn as far as like educating people. If I'm not presenting as this like, you know, noble authority figure, then that's not how I'm going to share content. That's not how I'm going to speak. So for me, and this ties in with like having the business that I want, I want to speak as a friend. I want to speak as an advocate. I want to speak as an entertainer. Um, And so that's kind of how I choose to speak. And so if that resonates with somebody else, like use your personal voice in all of your copywriting, because if you're trying to be somebody else, like you're going to get exhausted and you're going to hate your business if you are always trying to step into the mindset of somebody or something else. So a lot of it just comes down to being true to yourself. And that's the, that's kind of the like friction between what does your audience want? I always say that like you shouldn't be Frankensteining yourself for your audience because otherwise you're just kind of creating the stuff of things that you think people want to hear. You need to know what they want, but then you need to bring yourself to the table um, and you bring yourself to your audience. Right. That's perfect. And it goes in line with one of the, one of the big questions I had written down was that I have heard certain personal brand strategists talk about putting forward a version of yourself that speaks to the largest audience. And it really, to me, it it brings up this. I love how you said Frankensteining, like putting pieces that aren't even really real. They aren't human. They aren't you just to try to speak to a a great, they aren't authentic. And it's so also at the same time, it's so vanilla that it doesn't really attract the clients that you truly want. Whereas if you're unique, you're yourself, you're authentic then you attract clients that would are so grateful for you. They, they, they love you. I love what you said about a big vanilla. Like, yeah, it's like spice it, spice it up, put some sprinkles on it, like make it different and exciting. And I think people think that the different and exciting thing is like something out there and like, no, it's you. Like people will want to work with you because you are you. And so you have to show them who that is because look, like, I don't care what industry you're in. Um, my husband is an HVAC Uh, He owns an HVAC company. There's a million HVAC companies out there. People choose him because they like him. Same with me. There's a million copywriters out there. People work with me because they like me. There are brain surgeons out there. I'm sure that people choose a brain surgeon based on an initial consultation or something and they like them. Like I, we discount our uniqueness so much. And I don't think we realize how much influence we have and how much putting that out there is, is what people connect with and connect to. And Also, to be kind of frank about like those, you know, maybe personal brand people that have a big audience. I was in a a copywriting call the other day and everybody was talking about somebody who is like huge in uh, the course creating world. And we were all talking about how we don't like like we don't vibe with them because they just seem like a shell of like a person that an AI thing would create. Like nobody connects to them anymore because they've gotten so far from being authentic that, you know, they're sharing great stuff. They're, they know a lot and they're, you know, they're an expert in the space, but like, we're, we're not connecting to them anymore because we can kind of tell there's that, that like level of distance where they don't share anything authentic or vulnerable anymore. Um, and we're just like, yeah, we get it. Like you promote your stuff all the time, but like, we don't, we're bored. Like we don't care. You don't give us anything anymore. So yeah. yeah, it reminds me of, I don't know if you're a fan of uh, the TV show Parks and Rec, but I loved that TV yes. show. And yeah. in that, they they had this politician that was in an office and he'd go up and do his little two cents and say something and then go back to his office and sit there and stare at the wall. Uh-huh. Uh, literally yes. was just almost looked like a robot, uh, but yeah. it's, 
but that's what they thought that they needed to be in order to uh, to promote him. And it's just, I feel like a lot of companies do the same thing or a lot of people do the same thing when they're promoting their brand. Yeah. So uh, we're, we're, we're coming up to the end here, Juliet. I want to ask, tell me about the icon framework. Yes, the icon framework. Uh, so it stands for identity, connection, offer, and nurture. So the identity piece is like, that's the first pillar that is the foundation for everything. Um, everything that we've talked about today, bringing yourself to the table. That's what I help my clients do. Cause it's hard to think like, well, what should I share about myself? And so in my process, that's where I ask all those questions that kind of uncover stories. They uncover values. They uncover unique things about them that they don't think are unique, but really are. And then that's why the, you know, connecting with the customer second, you do need to know your audience. You need to know your people, but that is not I don't feel like first and foremost, like know yourself and then know your people and then offer. You have to have a good offer. Um, You can talk about how cool you are all day long, but if you're not selling something that people want, then it's not going to get very far. And then nurture kind of is the end piece of that. Like once you have those other three things down, then it's very easy to create copy that converts that people are interested in. And you just, at that point, you have to do it. Like you have to take your your identity, your connection and your offer and put it out there and nurture people. And, you know, you do that forever, but that's what ends up ultimately bringing the sales into the business instead of like, oh, well, this was fun. We had a great time finding out who I am. Like the nurture piece is like, okay, let's get you the sales now by putting it out there into the world. That is so strong, Juliet, the way that you put the icon model, because I've seen a lot of copywriters again out there that are just creating content for the sake of content. It's good content, but it doesn't yeah. convert. Like you said at the end, does it convert? Yeah. Um, is it actually doing something? Is there a purpose to this content or is it just more written word out there in the in the ether? So yeah. I love that. And, and Julia, I call you- it, I, sorry, I was just gonna say, I call it icon because people always wanna be the icon of their industry. They wanna be that go-to expert. They want that name recognition and you have to do it right. It's not about being on every platform. It's not about being you know, the loudest. You have to be like really strategic um, in how you want to actually accomplish that goal. And that's why the framework is named that. And you do this type of copy for websites, sales yes. pages, emails, even other stuff, blogs and bios, sometimes you'll do. Uh, what else? What else? are we promoting here, Juliet, at the end? What other plugs do we have? Yeah, I would love to be connected to anybody listening to this on LinkedIn. I just love to make friends. I like to see what other people are sharing, um, what value they have. Jonathan, that's how we became friends on LinkedIn. And I just love engaging with other people. I am not one to always be pitching or selling. I just like to hang. So anybody that wants to hang out on LinkedIn would love to you know, get to know you because specifically with copywriting, like it, you don't need it until you need it. Right. Um, so I, I just love to connect with people and be in their circle for when they do need it. But I just love to, you know, make friends. So, yeah. And you never know when you'll need it someday, someday down the Absolutely. road. Uh, but up until then, they can at least learn to like Julia. She is a great person to know. Do yourself a favor. You should give her a test drive on something. If you have something out there, any project, give her a test drive, let her prove herself to you. And even until then, at least give her a like or a, a connection on LinkedIn. Check her out also at yeahthatwriter.com. That's me. All right, Juliet, it's been a pleasure having you on here today. Thank you. It's been so great. Thanks for having me. I have loved this conversation. All right, listeners, let's get out there and make our world, our country, and our community a better place. When you succeed, we all succeed. And as always, this is a friendly reminder that the left lane is for passing. So speed up or move over. <laughs>